0: Welcome to the LaRouge Rugby Podcast with your hosts, Derek Brissett, Stu Hardy, and Dan Murphy.
1: Toronto trying to take the lead before
2: the half, five meter line, Ferguson. Toronto knocking on the door here. Colby Francis wants it. Francis digs in and is in! The eight man, Colby Francis, with the try. And Toronto takes the lead after giving up 19 straight to the Warriors to tie it up. Yeah, that's, that try is very similar to Jackson Kaka's there from the, from the Utah Warriors. Just a great big pick and go, great body position, getting down, reaching out, scoring five points at a crucial moment. Hello,
0: everyone, and welcome to another episode of the LaRouge Rugby Podcast. My name is Dan Murphy, and with me always is the incredible duo of Derek Brissett and Stu Hardy. Now, gentlemen, I'm going to let you two fight over who's Batman, who's Robin, because we have a very important guest today. With us today, we have the man who's fifth on the Ontario or the Toronto Arrows try list from Brantford Harlequins in the Brantford, Ontario Mr. Colby Francis. Colby, how are you? How are you doing? And are you excited for tonight?
1: Hey, how's it going, boys? Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, I'm really excited for tonight, actually. Uh, I've been following you guys on Twitter, seeing you guys going back and forth with uh, Cole Keith on the East versus West games. And I'm honestly uh, privileged to be here right now. Happy to talk to you guys.
2: Okay, so... On the subject of Cole Keith, were you witness to this him beating Giuseppe Trois in a speed race of some sort? No, looking no, for guys to verify for to completely verify this. No, unfortunately,
1: so I was probably doing hamstring sweeps when those guys were running. <laughs> but it doesn't surprise me. Cole's Cole's deceptively quick. You watch him during training and he's getting tip balls and you just look and he's already in the try-line. The guy's got gas. <sighs>
0: So this is my expectation now is I call you're, you're probably going to be listening to this podcast episode because you're such a big fan now, but uh, if I don't see you burn someone down the wing side next season, I'm going to be very upset, but uh, you know, let's get into this Colby because uh, we got a lot to talk about. And uh, the first thing is, you know, what have you been up to during uh you know COVID-19 you know we we kind of talked with uh with Colby and or with uh Cole Keith and Andrew Ferguson about their kind of COVID-19 experience what has this been like for you
1: oh it's been a been a crazy time I think it's been upwards of six seven months without any rugby for us so uh I just use this time really just to train at a local gym here in town called the Athlete Farm Luke Van Moykirk. uh runs like a athlete-specific gym. And uh, I've been able just to keep my training there during COVID and just keep staying in shape. But I've had a lot of time uh, to reflect on the previous season and try not to dwell on the things that we could have done on, as a team, uh, but more so look at the thing that I can build upon uh, during the time that I've had to myself. Uh, definitely self-reflection and journaling have been huge parts of COVID, being able to look at myself and hold myself accountable. I had a lot of time uh, just to uh, figure stuff out just by myself. Uh, Self-reflection and journaling in both uh, rugby and like my career afterwards in firefighting. Through this, I was able to set up just tangible goals just to keep me honest, uh, not only in rugby, but also to become a better human outside of the pitch. These kind of tips and tricks just gave me mental clarity about the things that I subconsciously think about and that they must mean a lot to me. Like
2: what, have you been able to like do like some firefighting training throughout the off season then?
1: Uh, I unfortunately, like- no. haven't been able to uh, go to the facility. So it's basically just online schooling right now. And then uh, hopefully soon I'll be able to go to the facility and do those uh, firefighting training activities.
2: Yeah. And like, say maybe like last off season, has that been something that you've been working towards, you know, like when you're away from the Toronto Arrows or playing professional rugby?
1: Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Uh, and it goes back to my guys in, uh at the Brantford uh, Harlequins, they, they always say that you can make it in rugby, but we want you to be aware of, unfortunately, rugby does come to an end and we want you to be well-prepared for when that time comes And just been able to pick the brains of like Josh Van Horn, there's uh, Adam Schouten, there's just a bunch of local firefighters within that group. And I've been able to lean on them just for advice and stuff. And they've been able to tell me what to do, uh, what to look for in terms of volunteering and stuff like that. So it's been, I'm very fortunate enough to have the Brantford Harlequins community definitely with me on my uh, rugby career.
2: And uh, were you also able to uh, pick uh, John Moonlight's brain a little bit as far as firefighting goes when he was uh, with the Arrows last year too?
1: Yeah, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mooner. Uh, I, to- I told him last year that I want to be a firefighter and he's just been texting me nonstop. Just, uh, just keeping up. How are you, Colby? How are things going? He's, he's someone that last year, just being able to see him, he's been an icon in Canadian rugby and just seeing the professionalism that he brought outside of sport, just being able to transition into that firefighting gig and just seeing firsthand what I can do in my time during rugby to kind of emulate what John Moonlight did.
0: I think a lot of people would uh, agree with you. He's, he's such an icon. Do you think that maybe you could send him a text and say, hey, you're up for one more season of MLR? Do you think that he would uh, respond to you or do you think that that phone would just immediately get turned off?
1: Uh, to be honest, I want to. I I would want him to be back, but I think he he turned a new page and he loves what he's doing now with firefighting and just that total other chapter in life that he hasn't really experienced. And he's I keep up with him on uh, Instagram and it looks like he's having an awesome time.
2: Uh, what, what have you been doing to like entertain yourself like uh, without, uh you know, having to go to like all these arrows trainings and, you know, any of the uh, the day to day with uh, playing professional rugby?
1: Uh, I've actually taken up uh, quite a few things, taken up, uh, got into reading, set a goal for myself to read two books throughout the whole year. And I've already surpassed that. I've read three. So uh, mm-hmm. we're off to a good start there. I don't know the last time I finished a book front to back. So being able to read three is pretty big for me. And then uh, been able to uh, get into golf, not very good, nice. but I'm 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 trying every day. Just can't seem to break that hundred point, but there's always next summer.
0: Yeah, I you know what? For me, reading is like it puts me to sleep, and that's why like I've added it to my like nighttime routine. It's like I, I've I've had a couple books that I've been reading, like, and I kind of started around the same time you did during yeah. COVID. It's like all right. I'll, i'm gonna chalk off like you know four, 35 or 40 minutes of reading for bed and i find that like not having to look at a phone or or or, or tv or something like that it really has been helping so it's yeah. cool here you know other people kind of say that i've been trying to get back into reading
1: yeah it's crazy that you say that so you've just been uh setting that time creating those habits and that's the kind of books i've been reading just like uh developing better habits as a like human and as a athlete so I've been able to read books about just becoming more uh more focused on creating goal-oriented habits so being able to check off the list and it's been working wonders for me I just find a sense of accomplishment being able to check those boxes after you've done it
0: man I've been reading super nerdy shit so to hear you talk about how you're getting motivated and how you're bettering yourself and I'm like I just read a book about a guy who went to like a wizard <coughs> university. That's not Harry Potter, so.
1: Good for you, man. <laughs> hey, we all got different, we all got different things
3: we're into. So yeah. I want to ask a question moving away from uh, the current and going into the past. Um, so I a- a lot of the arrows players have different uh, roots of how they got into rugby um
1: how did so how did you get started in rugby Colby uh I unfortunately didn't start playing rugby until uh high school uh majority of sports growing up was either hockey or lacrosse and then uh I think it was grade nine uh, all my friends growing up like playing hockey were all like oh what's this rugby and then uh, we started turning out to training. We all loved it. And then unfortunately I was still involved in hockey. And then uh, I think it was my grade tenure. I was running my EQAO testing inside uh, the school uh, cafeteria and the rugby coach came up to me and was like, oh, hey, I, I, didn't, I didn't see you on the list to get drafted. And I'm like, oh yeah, unfortunately I didn't. And he goes, yeah, I don't think that sport's gonna work out. You might as well uh, come uh, join us full time on the rugby pitch. And in front of all my friends and everything, I was just like, "Oh, I guess I'm playing rugby now." <laughs> so he didn't leave me with a you didn't leave me with a, a yes or no. It was basically an ultimatum saying, "I expect you at training." It's been that's been the driving force ever since. I'm
2: just I'm just kind of picturing your coach like watching the OHL draft, like hoping your name doesn't come up now, just so you can play rugby. It's- Honestly,
1: it, it 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 would surprise me if he did that. To be honest, the guy loves rugby.
0: So this is an interesting kind of point that we're, we're going here about how rugby really wasn't something that was kind of a predominant sport for you. Now, I think this kind of answers this question, but was rugby an accessible sport, you know, in your hometown growing up for you?
1: You know, oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. The George Jones uh, local club here, the Brantford Harlequins, it's on uh, Powerline Road and it's like easy, acceptable, accessible, like five, 10 minutes if you're in the city. So it's a nice little paradise. You get to drive out into the country and you're just, uh, you drive into the, the gates and it's just like an oasis. There's just nothing there but rugby fields. And it's honestly, it's surreal. When you walk in there, it seems like everything in your life that's happening seems to go away. And then once you're there, you're just present and with the boys, like there's nothing more that you could ask for.
2: Yeah. And uh, you kind of mentioned a couple of the, the uh, members of the Harlequins kind of staff there is like, is there any coach that you kind of like looking back on your development so far, that's had like a really big impact on you, whether it be with the Harlequins or, you know, the arrows, blues, et cetera.
1: Yeah, they're uh, honestly throughout my rugby career. So it started in university and every coach that has come into my life uh, left a positive impact, obviously with the Aero staff, with Silver, Winnie, Peter, Corey, uh, Carps, and Sean. They took me in at 18 years old without playing any rugby before and took me into a CRC tournament in Truro, uh, Nova Scotia. And I proved well and it's been five years and I'm confident to say without them, I wouldn't be here able to talk to you guys. They've done a lot like for me for my development as a player, but also as a human as well.
0: It's, a, it's hard to kind of say that, you know, not having Canada's most capped player would have an impact on your career.
1: Uh, yeah, so another coach that uh, has helped me throughout my rugby career is uh, Dave Neal. He was the player coach at the Brantford Harlequins. He was fortunate enough, again, to see me as an 18-year-old kid at training. Gave me the opportunity to go to four McCormick Cups, three of which we won. Uh, and like he's always held me to like a higher standard within the club always being pushed not only like on the pitch but off the pitch as well making sure I was keeping up with school because I was in university at the time and also having talks about like what I want to do in life, career aspects and things like that that rugby just brings to the table relationships that last a lifetime and then at my uh, tenure at Guelph Phil Murphy uh, I'm fortunate enough to have him in my back pocket he's a uh, he's a great man uh, and a great coach, he wears his like heart on his sleeve and he's up front with me about everything. And it's just nice to have that guy in your corner. I've been able to lean on him for advice for a couple of years now. And he always makes time just to make sure that I'm doing well and just keeping up about life. And I'm forever grateful that we actually uh, cross paths.
2: Do you, obviously you still have a relationship with some of these coaches. Are they guys that you like lean on during like the MLR season? Like, do you like ask them for advisors and uh, you know, critiques on your game or to help you improve as well? Or is do you just mostly kind of focus on what the, the arrow staff has to say at that point?
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, all, all advice is good advice. You know what I mean? Like having advice from like people that aren't in your everyday environment telling you like, Hey, I noticed this in your game. Like, what do you think about this? What should you change? And it's all about, cause I'm fairly new to rugby. So anyone that has advice, I'm open ears to hear. And it's just out of respect. They took the time to talk to me and I'll take the time to listen.
0: Who's someone that you love to watch every time they hit the pitch? Now, this could be one of your teammates, or you know, if you're watching Super Rugby or the Premiership, or even just kind of rugby in general. Who's someone that, like, every time they hit the pitch, you are like, okay, I'm watching this game.
1: Wow, that's a good question. Actually, uh, I would honestly probably have to say Manu Tulangi. That which guy, is,
0: which is too that, bad because yeah, you know.
1: yeah, that guy's just a, a wrecking ball. I watch him on, uh, sometimes on YouTube, lifting weights and just playing rugby. And that guy's a, that guy's a specimen.
0: Uh, yeah, too bad about the most recent news, but, uh, yeah, he's been, uh, he's been so much fun to watch us, he, I really noticed him in the, in the world cup, you know, uh, how he kind of stepped up and played so well for England.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Uh, we're going to move on now because, uh, we really kind of want to know about, you know, your arrows experience. Um. But we're going to start with actually some current news. And we talked about this last week on uh, LaRue's Rugby about the hiring of Rob Howley. Now, what is, how do you feel about something like this? You know, this guy's got experience in almost every, you know, level for rugby. You know, yeah. what is that kind of coaching experience going to have on either yourself or on the team when he uh, joins as a consultant?
1: You know, it's going to be a very cool opportunity to pick his brain. You know, you look at his rugby resume and it's like, wow, this guy's played for the British and Irish Lions. He was a star player at Wasp. And I'm just excited like to see as a coach what he can bring. Uh, it's actually a funny story. A couple of Christmas ago, my mom got me a British and Irish Lions book. And once uh, I heard that he was uh, got hired on for Rugby Canada and the Toronto Arrows, I flipped through the pages and sure enough, his name popped up a few times. So it's pretty surreal that he's uh, jumping into our environment.
2: So with with Howley joining the Toronto Arrows coaching staff, like have have you guys as players, have you been given like the opportunity to talk to him?
1: Yeah, unfortunately, we haven't been able to talk to him directly. Uh, just been able to see what he said through uh, news articles and such. But uh, definitely looking forward to the time that I get to meet him. What,
2: what do you think he can specifically bring to your to, to the Toronto Arrows? Like, what is, um, like, you know, he is one of the best attack coaches in the world and stuff. So, like, are you, are you excited to kind of see, like, what, like, say, I guess his input in the attack could be? Or, like, what kind of impact do you expect him to be able to have on the club?
1: uh definitely with him and peter i'm definitely looking up for some spicy plays in the in the back line off lineups and stuff but uh i'm i'm just looking forward to see what he brings you know he's uh he's been the attack coach for wales of british Irish lions being able to see how they attack the multi-layer of depth being able to hit like a tip player or like a pull pass off that four pod just being able to have options with Every ball carrier, essentially, and that's what rug, uh, North American rugby is not necessarily known for. They're m- more known for like their upfront violence, grab and run. So, being able to add that to our back pocket, it's just going to be phenomenal.
2: That's the is that the uh, type of style that uh, that you want to play there? Just the uh, the violence of grab the ball and run?
1: Uh, uh, sometimes, but I definitely like the flasher
3: stuff for sure. Talking about the development of the arrows. So you've been with them since they've been the Ontario Arrows in the exhibition season prior to joining MLR. Um, What has the journey been like to go from the exhibition season into now uh,
1: two seasons of being an MLR team? Oh, it's crazy. Time flies. Uh... Being in university, like having the rumblings that the Ontario Arrows are going to be the, the next professional club in Canada. It was kind of like, wow, am I really here right now? So during all the time that I was with the Ontario Arrows, it was like, I want to play rugby for a living. And this is my only outlet. So it's just been showing up to training, having like very transparent talks with Carbs, Silver, all the coaching staff and seeing like what I can do as then an amateur now to progress into a professional game.
0: Let me ask you a question, uh, Colby, and you kind of talked about it, how the Arrows were your only option. Do you think that Canada could sustain a second MLR team, whether it be in Montreal, Halifax, or, you know, BC seems like a, like a slam dunk decision. But do you think that, you know, between the guys that maybe you played with the Ontario Arrows and other, you know, nationally capped or uncapped players that kind of are flowing around North America, do you think that they could sustain a, another, another team here in Canada?
1: Uh, for sure. Definitely. If, uh, they have people like Bill Webb back in them, for sure that guy's done miracles with our club. Uh, we definitely wouldn't be here if it wasn't those drive, but, uh, it would only, I think the byproduct of having another Canadian team is just the in internal competition. You know, where you stand within the, within the country, really, if you have two professional teams.
2: Yeah. And, and like, okay. So obviously we've asked a bunch of other guys this question too, but it's like the, and at least in my opinion, the Toronto Arrows are the deepest team in major league rugby. So you just kind of touched on, you know, the competition there. And, you know, even, I think even like this season, right. It was like, um, Mike Shepard unfortunately got suspended and yourself was able to just jump right into the starters role and the arrows didn't miss a beat when, uh, you stepped up there. Yeah. Um, so it's like, what is that kind of like, I guess, internal competition, that? for the starting jerseys like in, in practice, kind of knowing just how deep that team is and knowing that I guess, partly because we are, you are the only professional team in Canada. A lot of the best Canadian players are all on the arrows right now.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, the way I look at it is that whatever outfit I'm in, I just want to do what's best for the team. And it's either if I'm starting or coming off the bench, uh, I just want to put up my hand up for what's best for the team. Unfortunately, sometimes it conflicts with what I want. But unfortunately, or fortunately, it takes 23 guys to lift the championship shield. So it was just the kind of culture that the Ontario Blues kind of passed down. Is that like you're all here to play a role. And unfortunately, you might not like your role, but it's there for a reason. I've honestly just taken every opportunity and just ran with it. You know, uh, with the season ending and COVID, you don't really know what can happen in life. So being able just to put everything you have there and walk away and then being able to review it during the week. Is, uh, is massive.
2: Yeah, and you kind of touched on the, the culture being passed down from the original, like, the Ontario Blues. So, like... What was that sort of from your perspective as a player on that team, that sort of that transition from the amateur game into the professional game? And how did that kind of impact the culture? Did it like, did it become like more intense? The guys kind of have to flick that switch on. to, Okay. Like this is professional. We have to take this a lot more seriously now, or was it like more of like a, we were already kind of acting like a professional team. So it's kind of, was it like nice and smooth the entire way?
1: Yeah, no, I think you touched on it perfectly. Uh, the guys in the locker room, we basically all came from the same program. i have been playing with the majority of the guys for five years now. And basically everything that the Blues implemented, it not only just set there, it set in the arrow stuff. And just the standard that we held ourselves to, it carried over into the professional game. And then we just had to take it that next step further to become an actual professional. So that's in terms of doing extras, extra fitness, all those things that make an elite athlete we kind of had to adapt on the way. Yeah.
2: And you know, when you kind of like look around um, major league rugby, especially like you can kind of see in this off season, there's always a lot of coaching changes. Um, There's been, you know, this off season, there's been a lot of trades. There's been a lot of players signing free agency elsewhere, but the Toronto arrow still have kind of maintained that, like you said, that core group that's been around since the Ontario blues. How, how does that, enable you guys to kind of you know I guess like because everybody knows the systems everybody understands what say uh Winokur Silverthorne is expecting out of them how does that kind of help you guys gel and obviously you're one of the best teams in Major League Rugby last year do you think that kind of benefits you guys having played together say for like you said five six years all the way through those amateur ranks and then making that transition
1: oh for sure it does wonders to a team it builds uh it just builds that camaraderie uh, each guy in the locker room been seeing their face for five years and wouldn't want to go to battle with anyone else really. And with all the new guys coming in, we're just an open group and there's no really cliques or anything. We all kind of mesh together and it's proved wonders. We've been uh, – we reached the championship uh, semifinal against Seattle and uh, unfortunately this year the season got caught, so – got cut. So unfortunately we do know what we could have done, but now we're just looking at what we can build – for next year how can we take that season and build it in as we're coming into 2021 just firing is
2: is there any like disappointment in knowing like you said like you guys know what you could have done and i'm just kind of assuming you're implying as many people thought that at the very last like, championship run it was looking like a lot of people in the media were p- uh, picking arrow san diego as a final um so like is there any just kind of like I guess, like, would it, like, was it disappointing knowing that, the, like, the season was canceled kind of? Because we've kind of seen in pro sports in a lot of other leagues, it's like a championship window can kind of, isn't necessarily the biggest all the time.
1: Yeah, uh, definitely. The guys definitely knew what we were building towards. And uh, it was just week in, week out commitment. And it's been driven down from the top to bottom through the leadership group and everything. We're all really even keel on the same page. And when we turned up to training, we knew that we had a job there uh, to do to get better for the weekend.
3: A lot of Eastern conference teams have been making a lot of big uh, developments in terms of their squad. Uh, Has there been anyone that uh, caught your eye either in the East or the Western conference?
1: Uh, yeah, I think, uh, recently, uh, JD DuPacy signed for, uh, NOLA. I think he signed a four-year contract with NOLA. Seeing that guy in San Diego when we were there, that guy was, uh, was definitely next level. And I thought he was going to be with, uh, San Diego for a while and NOLA scooped him up. And they're another team too, that proves that they can compete day in and day out. So adding him to their backline, is huge.
2: Yeah. They've, uh, they've been a kind of another team that's kind of been like the arrows in the sense that like a lot of the staff has been kind of the same guys and they've been one of the better uh, kind of one of the better, I guess, player retention teams too, which um, I think ultimately though like the East kind of between them, New York and even new England, there's only two playoff spots next year in the Eastern conference. So um, it's kind of the East looks pretty loaded at this point in time.
1: Yeah, definitely an elite, an elite player pool.
0: So Colby, I have, I got a question for you, buddy. Um, You know, when we look at these easter conference teams or other teams are there any teams that when your your gu- the guys get together and we, you look at the schedule you put a pin on one game and say that is a game that we are going to either win or we are going to you know die trying you know are there any teams that like really stand out i know like you guys had a really you know uh emotional win against the seawolves last season and you know nola you know those those two really close games and in the first you know inaugural season is there any teams that you kind of uh, look at the schedule and say i really really want to beat those guys badly
1: yeah, I think you just said it. The Seattle SeaWolves. You know, we've been uh, neck and neck with each other ever since we came into uh, came into the league. And playing there is just an unbelievable atmosphere. They uh, they put on a good show. They sell out. I think it's like seven, eight thousand people, and they're passionate fans too. They if you mess up, they will let you know.
0: I I can still remember like in that playoff game, like like. Some of the hits you guys were given and taken—it it was wild.
1: Yeah, especially when they had players like Samu Manoa, the guy from yeah. Northampton Saints, who's just a bulldozer, just running people over. You definitely—that was definitely a player that I was definitely wary he on the field because if that forearm caught me, I, I'd be down for the count. <laughs>
2: So, yeah, like, is, is there anybody then that is coming into the league? You know, like, you kind of mentioned Samu Manoa there. And, like, is there anyone, like, when you kind of see some of the big names coming up, like Rob Shaw or, um, like, are even, like, I guess the Beast was there last, like, but, uh, you know, he's gone now, unfortunately. But, like, is there anybody that you see when they've signed in the league that you're like, man, I just can't wait to play him?
1: Yeah, it was, uh, unfortunately, uh, Nanu uh didn't get to uh play him this season. We saw him in uh, Vegas when we were there for our preseason camp when they played uh Colorado. And uh that guy just seeing him in person is just like wow. I watched you growing up, I've watched you tear it up and seeing you firsthand in person. It was just uh it was just something that I'll never forget as a as a rugby player. Seeing a legendary player like that being able would have been able to have the opportunity to play against them.
2: Yeah, that was uh, probably one of my favorite parts of the the Vegas weekend was just actually being like, oh, I never and I'm kind of glad it made me happy like I'm really happy that I went down because I was just like, man, like I I guess with COVID-19 I lost out on the chance to have San Diego make the trip to Toronto so I can at least I was yeah. stoked that I at least got to see him live and he had a really nice try in that game too. So
1: yeah, and he was uh, he was up against his old all black uh, teammate Rene Ranger.
2: Yeah, we uh, didn't look as good in comparison, but uh, you know he was he was able to I guess kind of find his stride later. I guess I don't know. It feels like uh, like you mentioned the disappointment of the arrow of like you know the season ending, knowing that it could have been a championship run. But it's also yeah. like man, there's a lot of like really big name players that we only got to see like four or five games out of like you know guys like Nanu and uh, the Beast that just yeah. was like man, like that season was cut short and now they're not they don't look like they're returning for 2021 so yeah it's a little unfortunate in in that regard too but uh guys like Rob Shaw coming in next year so that should uh definitely uh
1: those guys are just uh just seeing like uh Matthew Bastro we played him in uh, a little exhibition game in Buffalo and we're all waiting and uh waiting to get into the Buffalo Bills practice facility i was just standing next to him he just like made eye contact with me and I just immediately just put my eyes down. I'm like this guy looks like a wrecking ball.
2: Yeah, exactly. And it was like I have to tackle him in not an actual game. This could be fun.
1: Yeah, yeah. It it, it was definitely fun. It was definitely uh, it was definitely an eye-opening experience just to see the kind of caliber of player he is and just like the career he's had and being able to see it firsthand like took two or three guys to tackle him and just his field awareness is just next level.
2: Is that something that you've noticed, maybe noticed as well? Like, I guess the Toronto Arrows have been, uh, you know, they've been pretty active um, with signing some of the new players, right? Guys like uh, Thomas De La Vega or Manuel Montero, Gaston Cortez, like guys that have like legit, like tier one cap, Nations and I mean, I'm, like I, uh, I guess Montero and Cortez haven't really arrived yet. But like, what 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 does a guy like De La Vega with that, like you know, that big tier one country experience, like what does he bring to that team? Especially since you know yourself, you kind of go between lock and the back row, and Delavega is a back row player. So it's like, what what are you able to to learn from him, and what are you able to take out of his experience there?
1: Well, yeah, Tommy, Tommy's just a world class player and also a world class individual. He, uh, coming in, didn't really know much English. And then, uh, once he found his footing and he was comfortable, we were able, he was able just to like smoothly just take over just everything he's learned, like from Argentina Pumas, Argentina 15. He, uh, he just came in and brought that wealth of experience and wealth and knowledge and just shared it with everyone and just seeing him like in a game. I'm a person that watches to learn so i watch him around the field and he's making double digit carries, double digit tackles. He's a menace in the lineout and it just goes to show that if you want to be a world class player, you got to have those kind of statistics. You got to be in the game just there alone 22 times. It's uh it's just crazy.
2: Right. So, so, so is that something that now like, like you're trying to do is kind of get, I guess, those, you know, those major, st- I guess, statistical numbers or like those big uh, um, like, you know, points of contact, like within the game kind of up, uh, you know, to sort of cut, try to match his level?
1: Oh, for sure. Definitely. Every every statistic matters, I guess, on your uh, defense and offense. The more you can get your hands on the ball, the better the team's going to be, especially on defense. I think that we're we're a defense oriented team. I think we're comfortable playing those long phases just because we know that we'll get the ball back eventually and then we can play our brand of rugby. Well, the arrows have
3: shown that the lock position carries a lot more versatility than people have given
1: credit for.
3: Uh,
1: what do you want to bring to that position? I, I think I bring just a, a little bit of everything. I think I have the size and uh, I also, as a number eight, I'm also very mobile. And unfortunately, with the game evolving, those second rows that are just usually there for rucks and everything, they're being casted out. And I think it's just the fittest players are on the field. You're seeing locks being just absolute menaces on the field, just not going to rucks. They're taking ball. I think it was Johnny Hill scored three tries in the premiership this year. Yeah. It just shows the work rate of like guys like that, Mario Toje, that can either play lock or they can play back row. And just being able to be that versatile, I think it just helps teams in general.
0: So When you look at kind of, you know, you're a young guy, in you, your future for your career, do you see yourself staying in one position, either lock or eight man, or do you want to keep that versatility for yourself going? Because there's a lot of guys that talk about like, you know, I want to be a specialty number eight. And then they, they just, they stay with that until the end of days. Do you want to be someone like that? Or do you want to keep the versatility as long as you can?
1: Yeah, I honestly, uh, I'd rather keep the versatility, uh, to be honest. Uh, I have full uh, confidence in my abilities in playing both positions, but being able to be versatile at both is definitely uh, not something that you come by often. And being able to have uh, a back row focus and a lock focus, I think it just meshes together and it just creates something that I want to achieve.
0: So we've got one more question kind of about about the arrows and about, you know, the Ontario kind of rugby scene is, you know, um, the Canadian rugby championship, you know, you, you took part of it with the blues. Where do you see that tournament turning into, you know, we kind of just had a couple weeks ago conversation with Cole Keith about East versus West game. Is there a place for the CRC to be kind of a quasi, you know, recruitment tournament for MLR or just kind of a kind of, evolving to something different or do you think that it should kind of stay the way it is?
1: Uh, I, I honestly think it'd probably be good for the development of players. I think having that set environment, the interpro, interprovincial competition is huge for uh, Rugby Canada. You're able to see young guys and if they catch interest, uh, the Pacific Pride might be able to snatch up on some of those players. And unfortunately, personally speaking, Uh, it wouldn't be without this CRC where I am today. So being able to have that option for players coming up, being able to be in the uh, Toronto Arrows Academy or the Pacific Pride, being able to go back to their provincial regions and being able to suit up for their province uh, is huge for the development of a player and for Rugby Canada as a whole.
0: I think that uh, Canada rugby is unique that like guys have, and we've heard, you know, other Canadian rugby players talk about their pride in their provincial programs. You know, it's very similar to like, like curling in Canada. Most guys dream about playing for their provincial team, you know, and then going to the briar or girls for the Scotties. So I think that it could be something that rugby can can attain to is like putting a little bit of pride in saying that I want to play for the blues or the bears or the wolf pack or the rock and like really make it like a stepping stone. Like you used it to for the sure. next level.
1: Yeah. And just seeing and seeing what other players are in those provinces. Like I remember when we were in uh, Calgary, uh, unfortunately haven't met Ben Lesage uh, before this year. And just seeing him with Alberta, he walks in and just like, wow, that guy's played for Canada. That's like the that's the level that I want to achieve, to. So just seeing those players firsthand, it's like, wow, like I'm in the mix. So I better I better perform Would you like?
2: I was gonna ask, like, because you obviously you played for the Guelph Griffins in uh, youth sports, and you know, and then going to the Toronto Arrows, and obviously, like, it seems kind of like right now, like, with you know, Major League Rugby, they instituted a collegiate draft down in the states. Hopefully, that'll evolve into including Canadian players in the youth sports shortly. Um, But like, what is that kind of that gap from? playing at the youth sports level up to the Toronto Arrows and MLR like, and could the, do you think the CRC maybe could be like a good, Sal, like, I guess in a way, like kind of like a similar, to like a, I guess a minor league kind of thing, where maybe the guys that can't quite make that jump can go and continue to develop if they can't make the Toronto Aeros at a school right away.
1: Yeah, for sure. Just having, just having different competitions, I think will Will just benefit us as a whole having opportunities for players just to showcase what they're about. Unfortunately, not everyone grew up playing rugby. Unfortunately, guys like myself are just athletic and we need people to take chances on us. So just having those different levels of competitions, I think just builds just a a very competitive pool.
2: Yeah. And, you know, when we interviewed Andrew Ferguson um, a couple of weeks ago, he was mentioning that he felt that he had a huge advantage on a lot of guys because he started playing rugby, um, like in elementary school, a lot younger than what a lot of other people um, like yourself kind of started playing at. And it was just like, in your opinion, obviously, like the arrows do a lot of like community work, um, going to schools, going to, uh, you know, rugby clubs for camps and stuff. It's like, what do you think is the best way to get guys or get kids playing rugby? rugby at an earlier age.
1: Yeah, I honestly, I honestly think just being present within those communities is huge. Being able to have professional athletes go to these local clubs and having these kids just be like, wow, this is, this can be a reality for me. And unfortunately, prior to the arrows, it was, it was either you move out west in in hopes of getting cap for Canada, we never had a professional level. And I think it's us as players, it's our responsibility to help grow the game. Uh, Like, for instance, in Brantford, I've been fortunate enough to go to some local high schools and just being able to run tryouts and practices and just being there, guys come up to you. You just create those, again, like I said, those relationships that through rugby just last a lifetime. Because who knows, maybe some guy that I coach in high school could be my next teammate in a couple of years.
2: Yeah, I think that's like, to me, that seems like that's like the really huge thing is you know now like if you like you said like you're for yourself like you were kind of waiting on like the ohl draft at one point and it's like you know if you're a a young hockey player that has like those kind of professional aspirations it's like you can see the path and the path is very clear even at a younger age right you want to play hockey you go junior a ohl um you know if you're not good enough for the nhl right away you have the echl ahl nhl to work your way up through right um whereas like rugby, it was kind of, you play for the national team or there wasn't a whole lot in between for a lot of people, right? So for I don't sure. know, like, I mean, my opinion, I think that's probably one of the the absolute best things that the, has come out of the Toronto Arrows is hopefully, like you said, hopefully by you guys going out, like you're inspiring those kids and stuff and they can actually be like, you know, yeah, I can, if I can be like Colby Francis and go through um, like university, go through the blues and then, you know, make my way up to Major League Rugby now.
1: Yeah, yeah. It uh it definitely it definitely helps bridge that gap for sure with the like Toronto arrows now that we have the academy so maybe guys might go to university show well during the U Sports uh, national championship and that way you're in to the Toronto academy like we had uh, a scrum half uh, Dylan Young he played at Queens when I was there he's won like four gold medals just a really good athlete and this year we brought him in and he was like just training lights out and you can just see his development, just being in that everyday environment of just rugby. You just see their skills just take off and flourish.
0: You know, we're going to, we're going to finish it off with, with a big, big question. And uh, we tossed this to you, you know, early, early in the morning, but um you know, in honor of the Aero's new partnership with the Ontario Craft Breweries, with uh, their Match Day series, and you know, they, they announced their first one on Friday, I believe, you know, the Steve Prop is Pilsner. crushing
2: it with that uh, product placement right there. There you go, dude. Good for here. you, buddy. Yeah. We got we to up your pace check. What do you think of it as you're uh, uh, downing a little bit of that Prop Pilsner? What's Ooh, the, uh, the review?
3: Uh, it's very smooth. Very nice. Um. And if anyone would like to purchase it, it is recommended that you purchase online. Um, it is by the case. You can either do a free pickup from the brewery or because it is over $50, they will be able to deliver to you in Toronto for free and outside of Toronto for $10. That's
0: not bad. That's not bad. Morgan, <laughs> I uh, So here's what we're going to do, Colby. Uh, we, we've picked five teammates from the arrows. And what you have to do is you have to pick their last drink for post games for the rest of their careers. So they're only going to be able to have this drink for the rest of their careers. So we're going to keep it simple for you. You know, this, this partnership is, is your beer or cider. So we're going to, we're going to keep it simple. It's got to be your beer or cider drink. Uh, and we're going to start with, uh, your starting hooker, Andrew Quatrin.
1: Uh, for Q, I think, uh, I think, uh, it's a triple IPA. I think it's a drink that packs the punch. He, uh, he definitely brings it on the rugby field, but he also, uh, he's also just the personality off the, off the pitch too. So definitely a, a triple IPA, a higher alcohol percentage for sure. What
2: what would you call a beer inspired by Andrew Quatran?
1: The top dog. Definitely. The top dog.
2: <laughs> All right, Colby, next on the list, we have Taylor Adams.
1: I think uh, for a drink for Taylor, definitely I definitely call it the sharpshooter, just because of what he does on the field. Growing up in New Zealand, he's uh, he's been able to throw these no look passes in training, just shifty feet work, and just seeing what he can do on the field. He's definitely a unique character, so I definitely call him the sharpshooter.
0: Sharpshooter, and what kind of drink would that be?
1: I think I think I'd have to switch it up and go with a cider. Cider? Think, now you, as a doc, I don't think he can crush too many beers, so I'll have to switch it up to cider.
0: Now, do you think it's like because you know, I like my wife and I like we like a few ciders here and there. It, do you think it's gonna be a sweet one or is it gonna be like dry? Like I think it always has to go with a guy's sense of humor. Like, like does he just have that dry sense of humor or do you think he's going with like a sweet drink?
1: Uh, definitely a sweet drink. I'd probably relatable to Summersby
2: oh okay
1: all right see, so i
2: was thinking we go with like strong just because it has that like arrow pun but summers probably, yeah, summer's I didn't probably- to be honest yeah oh yeah i prefer strong yeah. over summer
0: yeah oh see in, in my first in my first year at uh at Trent university up here um my buddy, who who actually ended up going playing for Trent and for Queens, he 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 showed me summer uh, Summers beans Like these are great. Like they're gonna be awesome. So we went to the you know LCBO and bought like a a flats worth a Summers bean, and that's all we drank. And like back then, Trent was in the the OCAAs. So yeah. like, after the OCAAs, and after they lost in the final to Johnny Sheridan.
1: Yeah,
0: at Humber. Right here, yeah, yeah. At Humber. Uh, we like drank so much cider and it it gave me gut rot and I was sick for like days. So to this point, I can't drink Summersby anymore just because of Johnny Sheridan and Humber and And the the heartbreak. And and the worst part is my wife is from Humber. So she reminds me of that every, every now and then. Uh,
2: So it, it hurts a little bit.
1: For sure. 100%.
2: But you know we're gonna, we're going to take a trip. He also reminds us of that all the time. He is still very upset about that. Yeah. It's a little
0: bitter. I'm a little bitter about it. Um but we're going to take a trip down to uh to Uruguay and uh your next teammate is Leandro Livas, the horse whisperer himself.
1: Yeah. That guy that guy's definitely one of those specialty beers, the one that they mix with like the whiskey barrels or the bourbon barrels. Oh okay. your kick. That guy uh I have nothing but good things to say about Leandro He uh, coming from Uruguay, just being able to see the development of their nation, he brought to our team and just like how rough he is and just like how he's just like a mini pit bull out there. So definitely, so definitely the Drake name would be the pit bull.
0: I think he was one of the first guys, uh, I think a lot of Eros fans followed on, on, uh, Instagram. And like, I remember like when I first started following him, he, he was doing like videos of you doing like yoga on like an away trip.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, he's hilarious. I think he did a, a podcast where they asked him if he had uh, like a Caesar and he goes Caesar salad.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, like, okay. I, to switch that around like have, have the boys been kind of like have you guys been getting into mate since then because i was like when i met him for the first time that was the first thing he showed me was,
1: oh you're going argentinians that's all they drink so whenever they busted out on road trips there's at least 12 canadians hovered around them asking them for a sip <laughs> and actually told me to Vega gave me my own uh my own mate kit so i've been able Ooh. to take it back to brantford being multicultural so as as
0: as a canadian that has no idea what what this stuff is you got to describe to me what does it taste like what is it like tea is it like coffee like what is it
1: it's honestly like a strong herbal tea it's very bitter uh apparently it's just all about the type of uh mate you get so i have like argentina mate and apparently the uruguayans Spit whenever they hear it because it's, <laughs> it's just so harsh. So i've I've been able to I've been able to try like the harsh stuff, and I'm looking forward to try like the Uruguayan uh, the Uruguayan mate.
0: Very nice. Okay, next guy on the list is Giuseppe Dutois.
1: Giuseppe Trois, I think he's a cider guy as well. I think uh, I think the backs just get shafted with the ciders.
2: <laughs> <laughs> backs are all ciders.
1: Yeah, backs are all ciders for sure. Uh, name for him probably the serial killer that guy that guy's very <laughs> monotone and he just, he just that would be, that's the best cider
2: name i think i've ever heard <laughs> yeah that's just oh, oh boy well yeah so sorry what was the what's the explanation for serial killer on uh Detroit
1: there oh the guy's just like lives and breathes rugby and he's just always focused about like whatever the task is and that training like if we're doing contact, and you run by him on like a tip line. He's throwing a shoulder or something. <laughs> he just wants to rip your head off. He's a very <laughs> intense individual, and it and it just shows the kind of character he is. He's a passionate guy.
2: There you go. So, so maybe it's a cider, but maybe like the alcohol content might be a little bit a little higher. bit higher. It's Dryer. a little bit
1: higher than the normal cider. Yeah. Maybe like a little like blood like be orange beers than uh, Taylor could. So we'll we'll bump up the alcohol percentage. There you
0: go. Okay, uh, your vice captain. From last year, Lucas Rumball.
1: Probably the shaggy dog. I mean, I'm going to have to throw back. I'm going to use the dog turn. That guy, uh, the guy's hair is just outrageous right now. It's even more than before, which is insane. Yeah, yeah, for sure. He just looks like Tarzan out there.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, there we go. We can, call, we can name the beer Tarzan, too. There's a lot of, a lot of options. a lot of, general, of options. See, people boy. say he looks like Aquaman, so there's...
1: Jason Manoa? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's a good compliment, to be honest
2: yeah I know there's, there's worse guys that you can be told that you look like out there 100%
1: yeah yeah
2: um, so what kind of beer would that be for
0: for Lucas or powder I don't want to make an, a presumption
1: no definitely Lucas is definitely a beer guy for sure uh, I'd probably have to say yeah definitely a beer for sure
0: is he is he like a stout guy? Like like does he drink like oatmeal beer or you think just kind of plain Jane kind of?
1: Like- I think just plain Jane. I think he's just an even keel guy. I think he just drinks whatever's in front of him. <laughs> okay, all right.
2: We're, that's, we got a little, that's little also a forward trait. I think. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely can't be too picky.
0: Yeah, all right. And We got a little bonus one, and we thought you know you complimented him so well when we talked about um, you know adding another MLR team. So what would you name a drink, and what would it be for Bill Webb? Whoa,
1: Bill. I think, uh, I just call it the CEO the boss man, the <laughs> boss man beer, boss just man beer. Photo, just a photo of his face on the front. I, yeah, just the boss man, the CEO.
2: <laughs> and to cap it all off, we do have to ask you're making the Colby Francis beer. What is that going to be called?
1: Uh, Probably the killboy brand i think uh I think I'll have to rep that, so just k b on the front, so yeah, definitely the, the killboy the killboy beer
2: is is there any any brewery out there that you would uh you would like to be making that
1: uh there's one in Brantford actually called steel wheel that'd be a that'd be a cool partnership for sure.
2: Well, yeah. And then you get the the Brantford connection and stuff. Sell it at the Harlequins Clubhouse. Can- yeah,
1: they actually have a partnership with the Brantford Harlequins, so oh, awesome. Games awesome. will sometimes make our way over there, and they're they're awesome over there.
2: There you go. So the the Colby Francis beer has to be coming. Then is basically what I'm learning from this.
1: Yeah. Oh, fingers crossed. 2021. Yeah, Brock. Brock, if you're listening to this,
0: you you help make this connection going with the arrows. Make this work for Colby. We would
1: really appreciate it. No, please,
0: please. Well, Colby, we really appreciate, you know, taking the time uh, to join us on the podcast and uh, answering all our weird questions. So we really appreciate it, man.
1: Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me guys. This was, uh, this was definitely a wonderful experience and I hope to be on hopefully soon. Awesome.
0: Well, gentlemen, we just finished up a, uh, a really, really nice interview with Colby Francis of the Toronto Arrows. Um, just a salt of the earth guy we, and you know was was pretty upfront with us with all our questions so that was a a nice
2: little way to kind of uh kind of continue on in
0: our interview uh journey
2: yeah it's also a uh, nice learning that uh backs aren't qualified to drink beers they have to uh they have to go with ciders um i guess i uh, obviously the uh, the prop pilsner was the first uh was the first addition to this uh, match day series. So I guess all the back, if Colby Francis has his way, it sounds like all the back themed ones are going to be ciders. So we'll see if that actually pans out. There you go. Stu, you,
0: you've had the, the, you, we kind of showed it. You're modeling it up for us. Um, If you could compare the prop Pilsner to like a more regular beer, what would you compare it to? I'm trying to psych myself up for buying a case. So I want you to pitch it to me.
3: Well, that's that I'm mainly a, like Amber Ale IPA kind of guy, you know, high percentage kind of thing. This one is 4.7%, which isn't high if you're from Ontario, but if you're from the UK, it's pretty strong. Um, It's a very smooth beer, I find. So, you know, easy to have uh, with meals or in conversation. And, you know, if you want something to drink with friends, which you would do if you're in the stands, watching a game um so
0: i hope that like it'd be really cool if the arrows were able to continue uh like the partnership and like at their home games had some of these beers available like maybe take stock of like okay these were the most popular ones and then at the home games had them available that'd be such a cool like just small little thing that they could do to really you know make them stand out in mlr you know what i
2: want i want that kit that's on the can. Oh. that Yeah. That, and then yeah. Bill Webb's just sending the people like winky emojis. Winky, like, ooh, yeah.
0: ooh.
3: It's like, Bill,
0: do play honest. with our emotions, man.
3: I'll be honest. The way the logo looks, so you can see there's like the stitching here. Yeah. Doesn't come across to me as a modern jersey. No. But I would love this as a classic style long sleeve cotton jersey that, you know, winter is upon us sooner or later Get up. having that collared long sleeve cotton rugby shirt yes, to keep you warm would be a great um, great for like a black friday sale in time for christmas if a certain person in the marketing department or works for the rugby shop or works for uh, K- Kono or uh, her paladin wants to take note of this if they want profits, I, I was, would go for I was going to say, man,
2: we got to g- go with Barbarian. Get the the classic Barbarian. Oh, go to the classic, yeah. Yeah, the classic Barbarians and stuff, man. My, uh, my high school team, like in i guess i would have been what 2007 2010 or whatever we played in those like the long sleeve barbarian ones and it's like when it got to like may like may those like they felt hot but it was like that when they when it was like march and there was still like the risk of snow they were like the most ideal jersey more arrows home games man we can call mlr be like put them on the schedule because everyone can be decked out in these (laughs) barbarian kits man it'll be great that's it. One
3: one chilly evening in Toronto, and there we are, all in our yeah, uh, hooped
2: classic bar- man, barbarian bar- jerseys. Yeah, barbarian uh, rugby kits are the best, man. They're so fun. So Can't go wrong. We're we're gonna have a little bit of fun,
0: guys. Um, no, we never have fun on this. Podcast. Never have fun on this show. <laughs> no, fun is not. Um, fun. We're gonna do a little. I'm gonna quiz you guys on a couple things, um, and, and all these questions will be about rugby Canada. Um, Hopefully, oh so the first question. We're either going to look really
2: good or really bad with this.
0: I know. I, I've picked some hard questions, so oh, I no. think you guys are going to... Really bad um, is. So in 2005, mm-hmm. Canada played the U.S. in what stands as the largest attended game between Canada and the U.S. in Canada. Where was the game played? They had 15,000 fans at the game. Where was it played? You can give me just a city.
3: Now, with a number that high, I would like to say Vancouver, but you also said that this is a hard question. So I don't think it's either Vancouver or Toronto. I have it's um i think it's where one of the cfl teams play and i don't know enough about the cfl
0: canadian geography knowledge and this is where i'm i'm, I'm happy
3: hey someone on twitter called um uh, young and Dundas square downtown Canada. So <laughs> my geography can't be that bad. Um, I want to say, uh, it. it is one that I'm pretty sure it's one of the CFL grounds, but again, I'm going to say, uh, Probably in Alberta, so Regina, Alberta. Oh
2: man, that is that is that is uh, failure is a- in the pronunciation and where that city actually is. All, all our Saskatchewan uh, listeners have, you know, just thrown their phones or their devices at the screen for you yeah, saying that. So- yeah, but you
0: know what? We need to be careful, Derek. We need to be careful because he's going to pull out a map of Wales. He's going to make us pronounce like pronounce like a bunch here. of. Welsh uh, cities and I will both just fold under pressure. Yeah. I, what about I, you? What about you, Derek? Where do you think the game was played? I'm going to uh, Edmonton. Derek is correct at the Commonwealth Stadium in Edmonton. That is the highest attended game between the U.S. and Canada in Canada. Uh,
3: one nothing. and that and that's one. in alberta that is, is alberta. in alberta yeah yeah so, so you
0: were you were almost there yeah, like
3: yeah the la- apart from, mm, the one thing which is the city <laughs> which is the exact thing you asked for
0: yeah.
3: about everything else was right apart from the answer
2: <laughs> damn it no i was like when you were talking about alberta i'm like you're on the right track and then you said a city that's not in alberta and i was like oh well... <laughs> Well, I mean, we we got to do a better job teaching Stu the uh, Canadian geography. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you're a teacher, Dan. Right. Take this is your responsibility now.
0: <laughs> no, I say no. Okay, so obviously because of geographical issues, the United States is uh, has the um, most games against Canada. Who is second on the list?
2: Like a pro- proper test match. Proper test match. Oh,
0: yeah. Well, no, because on this list they have like the England fifteen and 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 you know the Maori All Blacks. So,
3: so it so it's a team that Canada have played as a full international or like, even as a Canada fifteen. Is that what you're saying?
0: Uh, saying yeah, like, are we talking full international test matches here? Below is a table of representative uh, uh, rugby matches played by Canada National 15. So this is Canada's full-blooded 15 team.
2: Okay. I. Stu takes a long time to guess these. Um, so Stu- yeah, so Derek, yeah, okay. you go first. Well, he's thinking about this. My
3: geography isn't great, so yeah. I need to think of locations.
2: Um, I want to go with... I, f- I almost feel like I mean like I want I'm kind of thinking like maybe the ARC has been, like I want to say an ARC team like Uruguay but I'm also kind of thinking that maybe that hasn't been around long enough um and go Europe but um yeah you know what? I'm going to go I feel like I feel like I'm going to be off on it but I'm going to go Uruguay
3: do? That's probably way wrong, though. Uruguay was going to be my answer as well. Oh,
2: now I know it's way wrong. Now I know it's way wrong.
3: Oh, shut up. (laughs) Um, uh, But I also know that before the ARC, there's been like a Pacific competition with Mm. some of the uh, you know, like Fiji and Samoa and... Tonga.
2: Tonga. Japan was mixed in there. Pacific yeah. Nations Cup, yeah.
3: Yeah, so – and then – and I recently saw the Squid Rugby video about um, Canada – not Canada, sorry, Japan preparing for the 2015 World Cup and Eddie Jones trying to get them to play more games to raise their total cap level. So I'm going to take a shot in the dark. I'm going to say Japan.
0: Th- yeah so um we're both wrong right no Stu pl- is correct oh no way really <laughs> they've, played, wow. they've played japan 25 times uh argentina is is third is third uh, they've played argentina three times and they've played wales and
2: fiji 12 times oh wow. All right, so I'm way off with the Uruguay assessment, but okay, Stu, well done, Stu.
0: Last question before 1-1. we get into some of the MLR uh, MLR news that's kind of been happening the last couple of times. So according to this list, Canada has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten wins against Tier One nations. Um, two of those were against um, the Scotland 15 and England 15. So you know, count that as is. Who was the last Tier One nation that Canada beat? Ooh. Also,
2: the uh, does extra points extra extra points if you can tell me when. I was going to say, does the ten count that time that the uh, that BC beat the British and Irish Lions? no which is like one of the best random rugby trivia questions cause.
0: it does it does have on the list that that canada did play the irish lions but they it says they lost so i'm going to say that no no, BC beat them. BC
2: and beat then them. So. Canada lost to the allies, but BC was actually able to beat them. Um, it does not include that win, unfortunately. No. So when, but this just, is the like, most
0: recent win. Okay, so when we're talking tier about
3: nation. tier one nations, does that include Japan? Because I think after the 2019 World Cup, and now we've got...
0: it does not include Japan. Like
3: oh. we're talking,
2: yeah, tier one when they actually played the game.
0: They also haven't. I think it would also be. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I don't know. I,
3: I... I... I'm going to say... I don't know if this is bad of me just because I'm Welsh and I'm naturally pessimistic or if this is a question designed to go after me, but I think the last tier one team they beat
2: was Wales. Uh, I was going to say Scotland. So in two thousand five,
0: Canada beat Argentina.
2: Ah, that makes way more sense. Yeah, that makes yeah. way more sense, yeah. With uh
0: a young Aaron Carpenter playing eight man. Oh. That is the and Keith Kachuk is the only other name I recognize on this lineup. <laughs> yep, nope, no one else. There you go. That is the last time Canada is beaten in a tier one nation. It's in 2005, 15, 15 years ago. Well, thank you, gentlemen, for playing, for being good sports. I wanted to get your, your brains a little elastic and, and moving before we kind of get into the, the news. So uh, a few MLR teams have been quite busy, and there's been a little bit of um, MLR news that's kind of been hitting, um, you know, the pavement, as some would say. Um, and we're going to start with some, uh, some signings and there was a big Canadian signing, um, and it didn't happen in Canada itself. It didn't happen with the arrows. It actually happened with one of their Eastern conference rivals. Um, uh, rugby United in New York has signed Quinn Niguati, um, of, uh, rugby league fame with the Toronto Wolfpack and the London scholars and Canada's U 20 team and union, um, Stu this is you know we kind of saw this as people were rumbling about you know he was being linked to a, a New York side um, but we didn't know if that meant the new league team or if this was Rooney so you know what is this what kind of signing is this and what does this mean for Rugby Canada?
3: Uh, so for Rugby Canada, it means oh, a, a former option that had taken himself off. Uh, the box is now back on them. Apparently, um, yeah. I have to admit, when I first heard the news that uh, Quinn was moving to New York, I was like, "Oh, it's because of the New York Rugby League team because he currently plays rugby league, so he's moving there." And the reality is, uh, I have to wipe this egg off my face. Um, so,
2: <laughs> because because that team also doesn't exist yet.
3: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Just like a. The drinks, Gilgroni and Giltini. Yeah. Um, so, but I think this is, it's obviously great for Quinn as well because he's been playing with the, uh, he was on loan to the Rochdale Hornets, I believe. Um, and when the Rugby League Championship um, stopped due to COVID, um, he's now just been without a team and obviously we all know the uh, Wolfpack issues in uh, Super Rugby. So, Yeah, it's great not only that uh, he's playing again, but uh, from a selfish point of view, it's great that he's back in uh, North America and in rugby union ready then for rugby Canada to keep an eye on him and see how he does.
2: Yeah, I think um, seeing Nawadi back playing union is obviously a great for rugby Canada. Uh, You know, the the Toronto Wolfpack's financial issues, especially, you know, that kind of got accelerated because of COVID and now, you know, as of our recording this, they're still awaiting their fate um, to whether or not they'll be back in Super League. And as a result, obviously, you know, accompanied with the fact that players didn't get paid for a really long time, um, obviously, understandably, a lot of guys have been looking uh, for employment elsewhere. Uh, You know, a lot of their big names have, uh, have left already. So, I mean, even if they do come back, they're probably going to be a little bit of a shell of their former selves anyways um but to see nawadi kind of return to union awesome um i think you know we got a world cup coming up in 2023 and you know i think we've talked about this at least in my opinion on this podcast a lot is that you know it's like kenna beat tonga 2011 and just no has been falling steadily down the world ranking since then and i think it's it's kind of it's time to like kind of turn the page like we got to start developing the next generation um, and you know, that, that's, I think that's part of the thing. And I think that's why, you know, when we were talking about that North South game, it's like, there, that's why there's, there's, there are people that want it to be capped at nobody over 30 or nobody over 30 by the time the next world cup rolls around or something like that, because you kind of, you need that new generation and guys like, you no know, uh, Nawadi are going to be a massive part of that. And I think with Signing with Rooney, I think he's got a good opportunity to play quite regularly. Obviously, they have uh, Troy Lockyer and uh, Will Leonard as they're, you know, looking to be like their, their starting centers going the next year. Um, and it's, you know, so th- that might be tough for him to kind of, you know, get a spot in over those guys, but he should be able to come off the bench and, you know, get in playing time when, uh, when they, they aren't, those uh, Lockyer and Leonard aren't called upon. Um, and, you know to have more young players like that, um, playing professionally in major league rugby is awesome. And, you know, I think it's also great to see, you know, the kind of the the growing influx of younger Canadians heading to the American MLR teams as well. Um, because like ultimately at the end of the day, like you got to, you got to, you, you want to be playing professional rugby. And I think if you kind of look at it, like the Toronto Arrows are like, they're locked in at center. They have um, tois Lesage, Richardson, and Jones, right? So it's like, you know, if you, you add, you know, another center to that mix, then they, like it's, you kind of, up end, you end up with almost like the depth would be unreal, but it may be too many cooks in the kitchen at the same time. Right. Um, so, you know, I think, it, I think it's great to see that a guy like Nawadi is like, you know what, maybe, maybe center on the arrows is pretty, is pretty much spoken for. Um, but you know what, there's a team south of the border that could use my services. So I'll go take that opportunity and get it. Um, so I'm looking forward to see what he does. Obviously, you know, his he's got the size and the skill that should definitely allow him to ex, uh, excel on this level. Um, I think, you know, he he's incredibly tough to take down. He's got pace to burn. Um, and, you know, his uh, ball handling skills are incredible too. Uh, easy to get the ball up through the hands. He's... Um, you know and also league man if you watch his clips of him playing league like that game the way the tackle count kind of works in that he's really developed his offloading ability playing that sport too and you know i'm i'm excited to see what he does with rugby united new york and you know hopefully you know this is kind of you know, assigning that, you know, if he's playing here full time and stuff, um, you know, as we look towards the 2023 World Cup, I mean, Kingsley Jones has to have his eye on him. Um, at the very least, you know, he's you to be bringing him over to France, whether or not he starts or not with guys like Lesage and Datois or even Barton or something um, getting mixed in there. Um, but you know, he, he should, he should be de- getting a look. He's one of the bright young prospects in Canadian rugby. And I think guys like him and will pursue Tyler Duguid, like that's, that's the future, man. So great to see him back in union. Um, and, uh, you know, w- wish him nothing but the best in rugby United in New York. And that should be, uh, should be a fun little, it would be fun to have a Canadian on the other side of that rivalry, especially because he has those specific pride connections and stuff too. So a lot of guys on the arrows have played against them or played with them as well.
0: You know it'll be really interesting. Um, you kind of mentioned it, Derek. About we need to start kind of turning the page. Um, if you look at the roster of the 2011 World Cup, uh, and especially the backs in that lineup, you had a lot of really young players, right? You know, we you had you know Phil McKenzie, DTH Vandermeer, uh, Matt Evans, um, uh, Connor Herons, like. Young, young guys. And that's what was so successful. You know, Kieran Hearn was on the wing. DTH was was outside center. Phil McKenzie was on the wing. You know, like, it's time for us to start saying, hey, you know, we need to start letting these guys, uh, you know, grow as players. And I think that... And I think the other nice thing about about Naguadi coming to MLR and coming to New York, it's a little bit more consistency in his life which is nice you know going between rochdale and and he was also with the london scholars and then having pounds between there and the Wolfpack, and then it was like then you also take in consideration the the pounce between england and and canada for the Wolfpack. Yeah. you know that's a lot of movement for for a for a young
2: guy, so and, and going back and forth between league and union all the time, too, with the U20 team and then with the Wolfpack, yeah, exactly. Right? So, so he's, he's already bounced back and forth a couple of times. And I mean, this obviously isn't saying that he's gonna stay in union forever at this oh, yeah. point, but the Wolfpack um, might come calling again. And, but at least, and yeah, at least, at least you know, going into next year. And I mean, you're gonna go 2021 and then. You know, maybe you can kind of see if you have a shot at the uh, the World Cup roster, which he definitely should have if he's electing to stay in Union. Yeah,
0: and I think the big thing is he's been training. And, you know, we don't really know what the, the, the physical standards are. I, I'm, I haven't watched a whole lot of, you know, the Rochdale Hornets. But, you know, training – something needs to be said about training with men compared to, you know, the Pacific Pride or, or you know, just like kind of club-level rugby, you know, is – there are fitness standards that he would have had to meet. And like, he's gotten bigger playing against men that like you can see that if you look at him, how he looked in the U 20 tournament between compared to when he first played for the Wolfpack, like yeah. he has bulked up considerably. So, you know, it's exciting to see him. Uh, and we're excited to see him, Unfortunately, play against the arrows,
2: yeah. um, and like you said too, like it's it's league. But he's he's been pro for a couple of years now too, right? So he's already got that. Kind he's of been
0: a, part of those environments. Pro
2: mindset, yeah. Maybe he was
0: able to pick the brain of uh, Sonny Bill and learn a little bit more about some of those offloads. If you watch the video that um, uh, Rooney made for for the signing of him, he made a couple sweet offloads. Maybe you know he picked uh, Sonny Bill's mind a little bit when they were together, at least. Now, Colby um, uh, mentioned this player, and uh, it's quite the interesting transaction. So, Derek, I want you to kind of get into it. But uh, J.P. Duplessis, um, a former member of the um, San Diego Legion, has now joined Nola Gold. It's yeah. a, it's, a, it, it's an interesting kind of how they got him, but it's a really interesting deal in the fact that he got a four-year contract
2: yeah well uh ryan fitzgerald Noah gold man like just deserves a round of applause for this transaction man because um like like i don't i don't know man this might be you know outside of signings like this is it's interesting to see the gms in the leagues trying to fit starting to figure out trading and you know how to make all this stuff work um but this this is a this is one heck of a move um, from NOLA here. So ultimately they kind of, they need, they needed an It's from Brian Ray kind of reported what the full extent of the trade was. Um, and it looks, so basically what you have is they first sent Lindsey Stevens, um, to the L.A. Guiltinis, which nice to hear that the L.A. Guiltinis are doing something. Um, little, It's nice It's nice to hear that they are active. Are they alive? Yeah. Let's check their pulse. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so they sent Lindsey Stevens to NOLA for cap space and Stephen McLeish, who they took with a 22nd overall pick in the draft this year, and he's a hooker. Um, Stevens is also a hooker, so there was a little bit of a hooker for hooker swap there. Um, and then they then flipped the cap space that they got in the trade for Stevens and sent that to San Diego for JP, JP Duplessis straight up. Um, so realistically, when you kind of look at the total net value of this trade for NOLA going out is Lindsey Stevens coming in is Steven McLeish and JP C. Um, so, I mean, you, you sent, basically you kind of sent, you look at last year you had Eric Howard, Cam Falcon, Lindsey Stevens. So you kind of sent your third choice St- hooker out to get a prospect in Steven McLeish and the 2019 MLR back of the year, um, which I mean, if you just kind of word it like that, I don't think there's too many people that would not make that trade. Um, so that's, that's an unreal move um, from Ryan Fitzgerald to orchestrate that. Um, so like that's, and then, yeah, now we get uh now we get a little bit of um, like Nola's been making so many unreal transactions and stuff. Their backline's going to be unreal. Um, and, you know, it's, they're they're going to be a scary team, you know, coming forward in the uh, the Eastern Conference of Major League Rugby, um. So yeah, and then uh, it leaves San Diego um a little hurt as well. Like they have a uh, Nanu's gone, Duplessis gone, so you have um, you know, you're kind of down uh two of your your two starting centers. Obviously, Oddsley, uh, Ryan, Dylan, Oddsley, Ryan Mathias, uh, Josh Steele. Um, like they're, like, they're not bad players in their own right and stuff, but you know, it's, it kind of, it almost kind of feels like, you know, any, any kind of combination of those guys just doesn't quite match up to what Nanu and Duplessis could bring. Um, again, taking that back to Colby Francis, like just watching Nanu, it's like, it's clear even at his age, it's clear that he's, you know, a couple steps ahead of everybody else on the pitch. So, um, you know, and also, like, I mean, that was kind of your depth that San Diego had, too, right? Nanu, uh, JP, C could start, and then you have guys like Oddsley, Mattius, or Thiel that can come off the bench for you. And now you're looking at Oddsley, uh, uh, maybe Oddsley, Matias, um or Thiel starting, and then just one of them on the bench, and then you're going to have to fill up those spots with other guys. So, um, it's yeah, I Unreal Trade, from a Nola's perspective, um, and to lock them up for another four years, um, probably – when uh, the other Eastern Conference teams saw the four-year deal, they probably were not overly thrilled about that, just uh, knowing that they got to deal with Duplessis C for another four years.
0: Now, now Stu, with the uncertainty in um, South Africa with their rugby situation, you know there are no official announcements that they're joining the Pro 14, so they're still kind of in limbo, and they're doing their own little tournament down there. Uh, but we're starting to see a lot of... Springboks kind of make the the transition to other leagues, and MLr is starting to benefit from them, and a team we just finished talking about has signed um a seventh player that has uh quite the you know um legendary career so
2: far.
3: Yeah, so that is uh San Diego Legion have signed Cecil Africa who is a legendary Blitzbock player. So that's the South Africa Sevens. Um, He had technically retired this year, and I believe that his original plan was to play in the um, Summer Olympics. Of course, that's now next year, as it currently stands. He had speculated that he may return for the Olympics to retire then. However, this signing has apparently ended that aspiration so um but i've seen a few videos of um Afrika, and his sidestep is deadly it is you, you talk about like breaking ankles trying to just just trying to follow him and he is Phenomenal. Now, admittedly, he's the majority of his international career has been in sevens, and we all know that there's night and day difference between sevens and fifteens. Um, but if you give this guy an inch, he's already under the post before you know it. He is lightning fast. Um, he performs well with his teammates, obviously. That's why he's been in, on the seventh circuit for... Uh, let me just check um yeah seven circuit for 11 years um uh-huh. he's he's it, sc- uh, made over 300 appearances and scored over 1400 points and you know what
0: like seven's players tend to have a shorter time you know time frame than, than you know, 15s players. So to hear that, 11 years is incredible.
3: Yeah, um, he's also so he won the bronze medal at the 2016 uh, Rio Olympics as well. Um, in 15s, he's plays fullback. Um, just going through my notes, I think he played for the Cheaters, a fullback for in 2017 for a couple of seasons, going back to your pro 14 point um and understandably this would be a great addition to any team he is um 32 at the moment so this is looking towards the end of his career he's i know when i saw videos of him i thought that, oh okay he's you know like gonna be six foot 125 kilos gonna be massive um i've just gone through the details he's shorter than me and uh 65 kg, which obviously um he made bulk up for fifteens. Hmm. You know, you gotta be you gotta pack that muscle to be able to hit a solid tackle, which yeah. isn't as necessary in sevens. Um but uh, you know You don't have
2: fourteen hundred d- points though.
3: <laughs> touche. Um but at the same time it's like I I'm gonna it's gonna be interesting to see. I mean, I think we all wanted to see Uh, the arrows versus san diego even just in the regular season this year so i want to i want to see what he can do in 15s i want to see if he's going to be in the starting 15 or if he's going to be an impact sub that uh fresh fresh feet on the ground to uh zip past the tied bodies right bring uh, the scoreline back in uh, the legion's favor
0: and, and you know what it, it's it's interesting you know they haven't uh they haven't been afraid to kind of play some older players i mean uh you know joe Peter- peterson has been one of their you know most consistent players and you know he's near the end of his career and uh they've kind of talked about that uh, luke burton uh you know will be moving on from san diego so maybe this moves Uh, Peterson back into the 10 jersey, and you know, Cecil can play that 15. You know, they also announced that uh, they're signing another, you know, uh, all uh, former uh, Springbok, uh, Bjorn uh, Besson. So, you know, like they've got options that still make them absolutely terrifying, you know, including some of their
2: pieces that they still have. So, it's also like it's also you know bringing in Basson and Africa like they're both over thirty too right like they're they're bringing in those older guys and stuff so you know it, it'd be interesting to kind of see what that trade off is obviously you know they're their skill level and the level that they played at playing super rugby, um, spring box, blitz box, all that like is, is a lot higher than what M L R is at. Um, but, but it is interesting to kind of see what they will bring. I think Stu kind of touched on too. Like I think one of the most interesting things to me is going to be seeing Africa, like what he, um, brings to the table, like as far as like a 15th of transition from sevens to 15s, but like, you know, when you really kind of, um break it down it's like he's played 7 games of 15 since 2009 um, he's got two tries in those games um, but you know but it's like that's that's a lot and it's like I mean we've've we've, we've seen it here in Canada right where it's like we have guys jumping between sevens and 15s all the time where it's like you know they are different games and it's like you can see guys make you know make a play that might work well, in sevens but it's not gonna yeah work how in long did it take
0: right? you know Theo Sauter to get comfortable with the sevens yeah, and, you know and once once he got
2: comfortable he was fantastic but it's, no yeah exactly but it's like there, there is gonna be that time. Um, so, so that is, that is kind of interesting. I still think, you know, like San Diego, San Diego is deep and stuff, but, uh, you know, they're, they're down they're down nanu, they're down jp uh c too right like th- those are gonna hurt i feel like you're trying to
0: talk yourself into this i mean a yeah. counter argument to that i mean matt turner came from sevens and it
2: didn't seem like he missed much of a, of a beat playing 15 for the SeaWolves. no i'm not i'm not saying you can't do it i'm just saying it's hard it's tougher when, for sure especially when you've been basically playing sevens for what did stu say 11 years yeah um so it, like that that's hard um I'll see. I think ultimately, though, I think it's great. Like, obviously, the the guy's a legend. Um, You know, he's – here, Dan, I'll throw a little trivia question at you just because you you threw him at us here. (laughs) Where where does uh, Cecil Africa rank on the all-time scoring list for sevens?
0: Fourth – no. Uh fourth.
2: No, fourth fourth is fourth Dan overall. Norton. Fourth is Dan Norton. Mm. He's 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 lower than Norton. Nate Hiriyama's three, by the way, so
0: Seventh, I don't know. Seventh, seventh Seventh, overall.
2: you got it. You actually nailed it. Yeah,
0: yeah. Bow, bow, bow. There you um, And you know what, guys? There are some. I'm sure we've missed some other signings, uh, but these are the ones that kind of happened most recently and have been quite uh, interesting. So we're, we'll we'll move on because there are two more things we kind of want to talk about. Um, and the first thing is exciting news. Um, uh, the Utah Warriors, who've kind of always just kind of been in in terms of. We're not going to talk about their, you know, roster releasing and stuff like that. But in terms of fan development and just kind of being run as a business has always kind of been one of the front runners of the league. And uh, they, they're doing it again uh, by announcing that they will be building their own stadium for, um, for the Utah Warriors, which is, which is quite exciting.
2: Yeah. Um so yeah, Utah announced if you, anybody missed it that they have intentions on building a 10,000 seat stadium by 2023. Um they don't have a location for that stadium yet, but um you know, I guess that's one of those things that they're working on, but it's just the fact that they're gonna have a stadium is awesome. Um, obviously, having your own stadium, there's a lot, there's has a lot of benefits, right? You can get more revenue that way, right? You can get that revenue from the concessions, you can sell the advertising space in the stadium, you can do something like sell the naming rights um, to the actual stadium. Um, so there's a lot of ways that you can use a stadium to generate revenue for yourself. Obviously, with the big benefits too of just being able to be like, you can put your practice facility, put your gym in the stadium. Um, if you own it, you can control and the warriors are on it or, um, but also like they said, they're going to play host to, you know, community events, high school games, concerts, various forms of other entertainment, which, you know, if people are renting the facility or they're using it for that, then you, you can charge them to do that too. And that's another source of revenue for your club, um, which is outstanding. I do like as well, like 10,000. I think that's a good number to play. It's a good Yeah. Um, just because it's like, you, you know, I mean, although Utah did kind of hit that 9,000 for that one exhibition game against the Raptors back in 2018, um, they hit 9,000 for that. But it's like, if you have like uh, 10,000 seems like a good number, just because it's like, there's the aspiration that you can build toward the 10,000 to get to the point of you're selling out 10,000, you can maybe sell out for a year or two. Um, and then once you sell out for the year or two, then maybe, you know, and maybe that's, you know, in a, in a decade or so. And then maybe you can ultimately, you can add on to the stadium or maybe you can look to, you know, building an even bigger one later in the future. Um, but the other thing too that I really do kind of like about it um, so they've partnered with uh, Mortensen to actually build it um, so if anybody is unfamiliar Mortensen's uh, w- one of the the kind of the bigger like arena development um, construction companies um, that is in the United States so you know a couple of their more recent other developments that they have um, they're doing the, the stadium for Nashville SC and St. Louis the two MLS expansion teams um, they've recently built uh, a Legion stadium in las vegas for the raiders um they're working on climate pledge arena um, which is going to be home to the seattle kraken and as a side note climate pledge arena is the most seattle name for a sports facility that has ever existed <laughs> yep <laughs> not a bad thing though be it um environmentally friendly it's always good um, but they also have, you know, other ones, um, target center, Emily center where the lightning play, um, XL energy center, the Pepsi center, Coors field, a bunch of major, major, um, you know, stadiums, uh, across the United States. and you know, so, and even around the world, they also did the Mercedes Benz arena, which is in China. Um, so there's, you know, they have that experience with building like elite sports stadiums, right? And top of the line ones, as we're kind of seeing with, you know, what the Raiders are playing in. Unfortunately, I don't, I don't think Las Vegas, does Las Vegas have fans at their NFL games? Either way, it's not full. Uh, They played today and I, I don't remember if they're playing the bills. Yeah. Yeah. So, so maybe, maybe, maybe unfortunate. Yeah. I'm not watching Raiders bills either. Um, Whoa, 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 whoa. The Buffalo bills are quite
0: a fun team to watch. I'll have, you know,
2: No, no. The the most fun thing about them is that they throw people through tables during their pregame. So um, that's the most entertaining thing about the Bills. Don't listen to him, Stu. He doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> no. Um, but either way, I think – like having a stadium like that man it's an it can be used for an additional source of revenue it's probably a little bit of a competitive advantage um as well um just be able to have your facility be able to practice when you want yeah you don't have to work
0: around other other Um, teams other uh, like if like toronto
2: has multiple headaches dealing with lamport yeah so yeah exactly so it's like that that's a beneficial thing and then You know, it's just, it's nice to have, you know, even for USA rugby, Hey man, you got a stadium that you kind of control if you kind of go down the line. Right. So maybe that opens, that could open up another, like maybe, uh, it's 10,000, maybe it's small. I don't really know, but it's like, that could open up another like potential test venue for you to play at too. Right. So, um, 2023 like that's uh you know hope i would love to see the location hopefully they get it done um by all accounts too i've never been there but it sounds like zion's bank is one of the uh, better stadiums in the league already um and apparently the view from zion's bank is the best part of it you watch a line out throw and then it's like oh nice oh my god that's a mountain behind it yeah i know It, it, it looks really cool on tv um but i think yeah, I mean, I'm I'm excited. I think uh, I, I think Utah fans should be excited. The whole organization there should be excited. Um, any of the players um, should also be excited. And um, hopefully, some of those guys will get announced soon. Um, but uh, yeah, man, that's I like. There's. Like, they have aspirations I, for 2021 They they, yeah. they were very
0: blunt and, about that with Brian and You Red. know
2: what, if, if they haven't signed players Because they've been working on how are we building our stadium That's alright, I can let it slide I can let it slide a little bit Let um, it slide
3: this time
2: Yeah, exactly, exactly Next um, year bro. Um, you, know, you know, hey, maybe the players are building the stadium. You can go back to uh Con Smythe way back in the day, he made the Toronto Maple Leafs build Maple Leaf Gardens. So, um, like that's a thing you could we could go with that route. Um, I wonder did Derek work at a like Hockey
0: Hall of Fame or something? I feel like this is like information that like very I few people need
2: I to know. Did. I did. Hey, man, we could do hockey trivia. I mean, yeah, if you want to do like, hockey know. trivia, I will. No, yeah. I'm okay. I'm okay. Now, I'll answer any, any questions, man. Any hockey questions? It's like, uh, I'd, I'd, get, I'd probably get more mad at missing a hockey trivia question than I would for the rugby ones. There and, you go. and I'm still pretty mad that I missed out on one of the rugby ones there.
0: Now, still. Are there do's and don'ts that that Utah should be worried about? You know, compare it to you know experiences that uh, you know premiership teams or, or teams in in Europe have dealt with with their own stadiums. Is there anything that you can think of on the top of your head that if you know Utah is going to build their own stadium that they should avoid?
3: Um, I would say be ambitious but cautious at the same time can you imagine if the stadium had been built ready for the 2020 season oh, and then God. their first year, um, even if they could host games, they couldn't have fans in attendance hope- because of social distancing.
2: Hopefully um, we don't have a pandemic in three years though. Yeah.
3: Yeah. But I mean- I, I'm hoping that as well, but at the same time this year has told me to not expect anything. Predictions are useless <laughs> and hope for the best in all. Um, But in serious sense, so they said that they intend to build a uh, 10,000-seat stadium. Um, They've also said they want to allow, um, be able to host other sports teams as well as high school events as well. I'd say in it may be for the cases in like 10,000, maybe like the maximum, but especially if, say, there's delays in construction for whatever reason and they can only get, you know, one side of uh the stadium ready in time then have the cameras the opposite side so it looks like there's a full house um
2: i think the one of the well that's that's actually another problems. thing is, is like we've seen with some stadiums or whatever it's like if you're designing your own stadium you can control where the cameras and stuff
0: yeah go. not be so like toronto can, at uh, completely- york stadium
2: yeah, like you can completely control how everything in that stadium's designed, right? Like you can build yeah. you can build like the extra, like everywhere with like the extra camera angles and stuff can all go. Um oh, you God, can no. build those areas for those guys to stay. You can build like, you know, you can build the facilities too for just like your extra, you know, in-game entertainment kind of stuff, right? Like you can fully control yeah. everything. Yeah. Um you know like one thing too it's like have a have a screen and stuff you can yeah that's on the screen that's what like, I, would,
3: I, I was gonna say as well is that i know that uh, those who've been to um uh alumni field at uh, york university know that there's a screen there but you can't actually show any replays or anything like that and having some may say that like, oh having a big monitor showing the game kind of defeats the purpose of going to a game to watch rugby. I think it just adds to the environment. It makes it appear more professional as well. And, um, and that's it. as in, if you can have that uh, giant screen, I also think as well, every stadium needs this, Um, both the score and the clock in easy view for all the fans to see. So they can keep, um, touch the game Um, anyone who was at the first game at uh, uh, alumni field uh, last year knows that the uh, scoring issues and the uh, clock issues with watching that game Um, I think it's they're going to have to take out a loan to pay for this but obviously they also have the plan in place of hosting concerts hosting other events and They'll be getting the money back through ticket sales for those things as well. Um, I'm not entirely sure about the location. I've never been to Utah, and um, never mind.
2: Yeah, they well,
0: they, they said they don't have the
2: location yet, so it's they're narrowing it down to a couple. Which is
0: different. cool because you know, ask your ask your fans, see what what kind of or general feeling is about where it would be best suited which is kind of a cool idea i mean how much they take it in it actually into consideration is one thing but
3: yeah because that's the thing is that you could go for somewhere that everyone has to drive to and it's more affordable or you can go to an easily accessible like downtown area but then again the land's more expensive so it's it's kind of like a catch-22 as in yeah those kind of things um But obviously this is a long-term investment. So, I mean, we've been talking about players' contracts being like two, three, four years. Uh, The Warriors are obviously intending to be around for a long time. So I think that this is another statement in saying that rugby is here to stay in North America.
2: Yeah, I think that's a good point, man. It's like you're not not building a stadium if you're – you know, you're not expecting the league or anything to be around. So I think that's, you know, even seeing uh, Houston kind of do it, I think, uh, yeah, the owners are making big uh, statements of intention here. And, uh, you know, it's like, yeah, like coming out of COVID too, like it's a big sign of strength that you're like, yeah, we're going to build a stadium and stuff as well. And, you know, not only did the league pay all their players, but it's like, there's still, you know, two expansion teams are coming in and teams are looking at building stadiums. So, uh, you know, from that perspective, looking at the league, if you're uh, looking at like sponsorships and stuff, you got to think it's, uh, you know, in pretty good shape too.
0: So we're going to go and then finish off the episode from going from one team that's celebrating, you know, a next step in their uh, growth to another almost but not really team that has kind of just been not almost having a hissy fit, but you almost feel like you want to say that. So, Kanalo, Hawaii has, once they were uh, announced that they would not be joining the MLR, uh, shifted gears and tried to make a splash by joining Super Rugby. Um, It it did not happen. Um, Then uh, New Zealand Rugby confirmed that in 2021, it'll just be Super Rugby Aratoa again. Um, However, they are looking at uh, at adding more teams in 2022, which uh, might include Kanaloa uh, Hawaii or uh, Manoa Pacifica, which has been a huge talk about. A lot of people have been kind of pushing for a uh, Pacific Islands team. Um, Tracy Atiga of Kenalo, Hawaii, did not like this news, and called the whole situation shady and a challenging bidding process. Um, in the article with uh, from the New Zealand Herald, uh, she said, we've got a facility in stadiums. It's just a matter of getting the big tick to go ahead. Um, they needed something for their investor groups to say that they had a five-year license and that uh, so their sponsors can say we're on board. Um, and I guess they were... She she claims, and you know how much do we really know that there was an eight day turnaround to put together a bid, which again that seems unfair. And um, in her defense, um, she is not the only one that has been kind of going after New Zealand rugby about the whole situation. Um, The head of the players union or representatives has gone after New Zealand rugby for their kind of handling of it, uh, of, of additional teams. So, you know, on one hand, there are other people that are upset with New Zealand rugby. However, guys, and I want to get your opinions about this. I defended them when we kind of talked about, when they first were announced, that they weren't joining MLR, yeah. and I am the the basis of my argument was that if I was in their situation, if I wasn't given a, a, any information about MLR's COVID plan, which yeah. apparently there is one, and and Killebrew talked about it a bit with Penginelli in that, but didn't really give too much information. My argument was. If you needed more information, I understand that. Um, But I did add the cravat that maybe your negotiating process should be not as public.
2: (laughs) And then all this came out and they they didn't hear anything. I'm just waiting for the part where Dan's like, yeah, I was really wrong. No, 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 no. no.
0: I was never wrong. uh, But they did not learn their lessons from the MLR negotiations, which is it's frustrating for people that were excited about this, including myself. So I want to hear what you guys felt. Cause I think that it's not as fair. I, I don't think it's fair to their team for when people are just saying, Oh, they're having a hissy fit. Oh, you know, they're being completely unrealistic. And, and, you know, I, I just, I find it extremely hard to see that this is all Canaloa just having, like I said earlier, a hissy fit but there has been major issues with their process and how they're presenting their team.
3: Yeah. Um, So I said this last time, and I'll say it again, before they hire any other coaches or any players or even secure a stadium or things like that, hire a PR manager because this It's not a good look. It doesn't matter how in the right you are. Again, we don't know the entire details of it. This just doesn't look good. However, um, the situation with uh, New Zealand rugby is different to that of MLR because MLR didn't say, oh, we're looking to add a Hawaiian-based team for 2021 and we're going to carry on with the bidding process. It was Kanaloa that initiated everything new zealand rugby on the other hand has said that they were looking to add a pacific team for 2021 so the fault then is with them they could have in the initial um announcement they could have said you know we're gonna see how covid goes and we're not guaranteeing anything the problem was the initial press release for adding a new team did say or gave the uh, implication that it was going to be a six team tournament for twenty twenty one because it's not just um canaloa that have been uh short changed by this it's also been i'm just trying to
0: yeah um know, the other teams um, rob well. nickel uh who is the rugby players um representative um yeah. he you know he represents the rugby, play, uh, the New Zealand Rugby Players Association. He talked about how, and he was more angry that the fact that there won't be a Pacific involvement, and and he thinks that, and he has kind of he echoes very similar situations that Kanaloa is talking about, um, but he he doesn't kind of try to hit it overhead with a blunt you know two by four Uh, he talks about how this situation is frustrating negotiations are you know difficult to work with
3: yeah so um pacific rugby players welfare uh chief executive dan leo um came out on twitter and he had the following statement to say New Zealand rugby have kicked into the curb the idea of a six Pacifica super team, breaking a clear promise that no questions, it will be a Pacific team added, as reported by the Aratapu report. I butchered that name, apologies. Um, and then goes on saying New, uh, New Zealand rugby's excuse, a 2021 Pacifica super rugby team will not be competitive but the window to stand up a competitive pacifica team in new zealand is now and the next three months with so many players being squeezed in the northern hemisphere once covid is fixed that window closes instead a possible pacifica team will have to battle out for the new zealand slot in 2022 with well-heated china bid that is the china lions team this is possibly going to be based in the bay of plenty and um, reportedly paid for by an ex-blues financier and support from the Australian billionaire Andrew Forrest. And I, I can I can sympathize with both the Pacifica teams, which include not only Canaloa Hawaii, but also Moana Pacifica and Fiji Drua, that New Zealand rugby promised that a six Pacific based team would be added and now they're saying they're looking to add a minimum of three teams from 2022. And like we said, Canaloa, Moana, Pacifica, Fiji, the China lions, and even possibly the Western force. And yeah. And I, if I was Tracy Atiga, I'd be pretty pissed off as well that it's, be, and like I said, it's, it's different from the M L R situation because they're the ones who promised to be adding this new Pacific.
0: Yeah, they 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 talked the big talk with yeah. M L R. They it sounded like they had this whole portfolio plan ready, and as soon as the portfolio was looked at, it's like, oh, this is just two line pl- pa- two pages that say I should join M L R, bring me in.
3: Yeah, and well, that's the thing. As in, like, we're just saying what their bid for MLR is but and and that's why I say like for the MLR I put the blame towards Kanaloa because since um they p- uh, published that statement on Facebook um the dates have come out for um, the full season of MLR as well as oh we've got like a shortened season and a bubble plan in place and this is why I say, in this circumstance, it's New Zealand rugby because they're the ones who said we're going to have six team in twenty twenty one, and it's going to be Pacifica based, and that was a promise made that they haven't kept. So, it, and if it was a case of, um, you know, Moana Pacifica or Fiji Drua, Drua were a team that was selected instead, then I would say, and if Kanaloa had made this. A statement then and it was like we should have been picked instead of yeah like exactly and I would have said that it's okay then I found the common denominator and it's Kanaloa um, but this is in this circumstance again Kanaloa don't look great and especially after the issues they've had with MLR but it's not like the fault doesn't fall with them it falls with New Zealand rugby
2: yeah I mean. You know, maybe. Um, I think Der- I, Derek. I yeah. feel like Derek was coming into this point and being like, "Yes, do yeah. not gonna gang up on Dan." No, no, I wasn't gonna do that. I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. Hey, man, you could, you're entitled to your, your own opinions on stuff. Um, that's what hey, the whole God. point of this podcast is, right? Uh, I think. Like, yeah, I, like, I don't know. I just, I think if you're Law Hawaii, it's a really bad look to be like, "Hey, we didn't get into one league." All right, so we're gonna publicly complain about it, take down that complaint. Okay, we didn't get into the second league. Um, now we're going to, you know, publicly complain about how that second league runs their things. And, you know, there's they're still saying things like they have all these partnerships that are in place that people have, you know, disputed and said that they don't actually have that stuff in place. And maybe New Zealand also saw that. I think their whole thing, I think right now they're just as an organization, as Stu kind of mentioned, they need to hire a PR something and they need to stop talking too much. Um I think the the MLR bid kind of came out because they were talking too much. And I feel like the New Zealand thing is also kind of coming out because they're talking a little too much. And then when the things don't go their way, they start talking even more, which should be which shouldn't be your reaction. That's the time to kind of stop and maybe kind of regroup. And honestly I feel like maybe maybe Stu does have a point with uh hey we were promised you know a Pacific Islands team. um, but you know, even if, if they if there's a Pacific, I feel like if there's a Pacific Islands team in Super Rugby, it's probably not going to be Kanaloa, Hawaii.
0: I think you're just bitter. I want to want to just be like, no, Derek, you're wrong. But oh, and God. again, like we we don't know, and and here here's the problem is we don't have a roster.
2: Well, of, you can't have guys. A roster. You don't exist yet.
0: Yeah, like like you we don't, don't have know. A team. You don't exist yet. I mean, right? you know, but they can they can do tours and stuff like even without being on a, You know, like we don't know they, what they're working with. And like again, part of their problem is like what if comes first, the if chicken you were or the
2: professional rugby player? Though, are you going to sign with a team that's not in a league? Like, if you're an MLR quality player, you could be like sign with Canaloa, or are you going to sign with an actual MLR. Team? If they don't make it to MLR,
0: there's a chance that they'd be willing to pay for me to go tour and play Pacific Island teams and. I'd be down. There's a chance, though. There's a chance. There's a chance. You know if, MLR if, is happening. If, if it doesn't happen, then I come back to the U.S. and I sign halfway through the season when there's injuries.
2: Yeah, but I'll why wouldn't you just – would you not just rather sign a contract for a guaranteed, like, hey, this team is actually playing? Yeah, but it's like living in Hawaii, though. Like, I would yeah, love yeah, to that, live that, in Hawaii. That yeah, living in Hawaii fact, is yeah. tough if you're not getting paid because your team doesn't exist, though.
0: And I leave. I leave. I buy a ticket out of there And I go sign with another MLR team If I'm as good as you claim If I'm as good as you claim I am I will find a spot somewhere Maybe they don't want
2: you because you already refused them now
0: Now you're Uh, in a tough spot you know what, Derek? My you're agent
2: just, will decide.
0: Yeah, you're just putting this. up walls everywhere just so I can never get my shot, and that's not Shifting fair. the
2: goalposts. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's the whole thing. You were talking too much, and now nobody wants you either. Oh, boy.
0: Well, now he's <laughs> eggs all over my face. My <laughs> career as a professional rugby player is yeah, over. It's going downhill.
2: Ever since yeah. uh, Johnny Sheridan and Humber beat you guys, then so it's just been... <laughs> oh, I did not wrong. play.
0: I want. I don't think, like, I should make this clear. I was not playing in these games. I was cut. Like there you go. after you got- training camp. Oh, that's was- why you're, you're
2: bitter. Cause you got cut.
0: Thanks. Oh no, 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 no. I knew very well I was going in. I was not making that team. Like there's no way I was making that team. I did not work hard enough. <laughs> that's another story. Um, you didn't work hard enough and neither has Cantaloupe Hawaii. There you go. That's fair. Uh, listen, <laughs> there's a lot of things, right. That we, we just don't know. And I think it's just important for us to talk about it because you're just seeing a lot of, People like Derek that are just angry at Canaloa, and it's just <laughs> we just need to be happy about rugby. No, and but, but you know what? That's we we don't know, and like it's a it's a ch- situation between what comes first, the chicken or the egg. You know, they're talking right. about you know Tracy and Tiga is talking about oh well, we need them to to sign that licensing agreement so our sponsors will sign on, and and our our backers can all you know give us the okay and hand us the check, and it's like. Sounds like you don't have sponsors. Well, <laughs> we kind of need you to have those, have sponsors, those sponsors. Have those backers so check. we can have you come in. Yeah. And it's, so it's 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 this the standoff and when you have
2: an 8-day period to join a league, which again, I think that I part feel like is that sounds uh, I don't know. That sounds ridiculous, but it almost sounds too ridiculous. To but you got to look at sure?
0: everything else that New Zealand rugby has been doing and be like, "Okay, that kind of makes sense." Like think about like their relationship with every other rugby union right now, every other like venture that they've been trying to do right now, and it's all been kind of tire fire relationship burning stuff. Like they've they've been arguing with Rugby Australia. They've almost they, they made some snide comments at uh, um, the Springboks program after they they stopped going to Super Rugby. Like they're just making pot shots at everyone because they're the top, they're the top dog. So. I think that they they're like yeah you want to join our league? Okay, you got 8 days to pitch it to us and have your your stuff together. Let's go. Time's a ticking. We've got you know, the Fijians and the Islanders behind you, you know, ready to to take your spot. So let's make this happen.
2: Yeah, well. But we don't if, know. If that's the rules you got to play with, man. Then that's that's the rules you got to play with. It's so uh I don't you need someone like Wales
0: just to take them down a not- notch. <laughs> oh,
3: I'd, love it. I'd love it if they would. I'd love it.
0: Well, guys, that's about all we have for tonight. Um, <laughs> uh, the last thing we want
2: – uh, we, we can turn this off now. Thank you.
0: <laughs> uh, the last thing I want uh, I want to bring up is our, our own lovely Derek Brissett was on the Rugby Rant podcast. And uh, if you guys haven't uh, heard it, it is fantastic. Ty and and Rob do a fantastic job with keeping Derek in line and and a lot of really interesting discussions about how MLR can grow. Um, so if you guys are interested in uh, in uh, listening to that, uh, they have it on the face on their Facebook page. They've posted everywhere. They're they they're they're fantastic like that. Um, I and I listened to them on their podcast. Um, so it was great. Derek, what was that?
2: Did you have fun doing it? Oh yeah, no, always always have fun. Um. Yeah, it's, it's uh, an enjoyable experience. Uh, you know, the, I thought, you know, we had fun when they, they came on to our show. So it was nice to, I guess, return the favor a little bit and make an appearance on them. Um, so yeah, no, it, it was a ton of fun. Um, they're great dudes over there. And, uh, you know, always, always, I always appreciate the opportunity to uh, chat about rugby, um, especially rugby in North America. It's always a lot of fun. So um, yeah, go, uh, feel free to go check uh, check that out on all of the Rugby Rants platforms. Um, as for us, you can find us across social media, uh, uh, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, whatever your favorite social media network is it's at LaRouge rugby um you know, feel free to uh, send us a message. Let us know what you thought of the uh, latest episode. Um, let Dan know how wrong he is about Canaloa. Let me know how <laughs> right I am and how much you agree with me. Um, it's not. Here's the thing: this is not just oh, me. Man. Stu and I had very similar viewpoints,
0: so I don't know why I'm yeah. getting on my case when well, Stu no, made I some still, amazing points.
2: I still kind of like Stu though, so um, <laughs> that's kind of that's that's kind of the whole thing here. Um, Anyone want to
3: send me any geography tips of? canada
2: that'd be great yeah yeah you're you know yeah yeah that would be nice too. send uh let Stu know exactly what the provinces and stuff look like um, which cities send, are in which province yeah send him one of those like grade school like the things where you had to color in the different provinces and label them and stuff um send him one of those um over uh over twitter or something that would be much accepted um if you are from regina feel free to yell at him feel free to uh do all that as well um But uh, yeah, so uh, thank you. Thanks, everybody, for listening.